Welcome to the Voices of Grambling, a digital oral history podcast, a series exploring the rich, nuanced history of Grambling State University, the city of Grambling, and the people who make it. This series is a collaborative project between students and faculty of the History Department of Grambling State University, as well as faculty from the University of Arkansas. The Voices of Grambling, a digital oral history project, has been made possible in part by a grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities in partnership with the Social Science Research Council. Additional funding was provided by the Louisiana Endowment for the Humanities. Any views, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent those of the National Endowment for the Humanities, the Social Science Research Council, or the Louisiana Endowment for the Humanities. I am Brian McGowan, and I'm speaking with Steve Andrist. Steve was a participant in the exchange program between North Dakota State and Grambling State University in the 1970s, and we've got some questions for Steve today. So first of all, thank you for joining us. Yeah, you're most welcome. I I have a lot of fond memories, and before we get too far, I want to make one brief correction. Uh, My college here was the University of North Dakota. All right, I've already got. I've already made my first mistake. Thank you for fixing me on that one. University of North Dakota. Can you tell us a little bit about your background? Sure. I grew up in a little town called Crosby, North Dakota, which is uh, located in the northwest corner of the state, just a stone's throw from Montana to the west, and a stone's throw from Saskatchewan in Canada to the north. So it was way, way up in the corner. I. Um, I was born and raised there in a family that owned and operated a community newspaper there. Uh, My grandfather uh, was the first member of our family to run the local newspaper, uh, and he did it uh, when he was about 21 years old and as he got into the newspaper business as an alternative to bootlegging, which was about the only other option he had at the time. So uh, yeah, I grew up there, I went to high school there. It's a little town of about 1,200 people, so I know there's a lot of uh, little communities in Louisiana that are similar to that. After high school, I went to the University of North Dakota to study journalism. Got a journalism degree there, spent the next 15 or 16 years uh, in the news departments at daily newspapers in North Dakota and Minnesota, and then eventually uh, went back home took over the family newspaper business way up in Crosby and um, and did that for 21 years while we were raising our children. After, uh, after that period of time, we kind of sort of retired and moved to Bismarck where we had some of our children lived and we were starting to have grandchildren and Bismarck's the capital of North Dakota. And before long, I uh, there was an opening at the North Dakota Newspaper Association for executive director. So I I did that for eight years, advocating for newspapers in the state. Uh, and in 2020, I fully retired, and now I'm enjoying the, the life of leisure as a as a retired former newspaper publisher. Why did you decide to go to the University of North Dakota? Well, in those days, you know, I graduated from high school, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do next. The only thing I knew was the newspaper business. And the University of North Dakota was the only higher ed institution in the state of North Dakota that had a journalism program. At that time, it had a pretty strong journalism program. So that's basically the only reason I went there is because I I didn't know what else to do other than, than journalism, and they had the only option for me. 
Once you were there, you obviously participated in the exchange program with Grambling. Why did you decide to do that? Also, I should ask, how did you learn about the program? As a student at, at UMD, I was uh, a reporter for the student newspaper uh, called the Dakota Student. And uh, one week I was assigned to cover a meeting in which the, it was an informational meeting about a program fairly young program at the time in which UND and Grambling were kind of trading exchange students at the time. So I went to cover that meeting, was very interested in it <laughs> as I learned learned more about it. And there were, weren't very many people coming forward who were interested in participating. Uh, and I thought it sounded like a, like a really fascinating experience. So I made application for it and uh, just based on the, on the experience of covering the meeting about it. And what I learned later is that the North Dakota demographically has always been probably less than uh, 1% black. Uh, the largest minority group is native, native peoples, uh, indigenous, uh, and, um, and in small rural farming communities where, like the one I grew up in, the, the experiences that we had with black people were not personal experiences at all. They were based on television uh, portrayals or, or you know, athletics or something like that where we saw people from a distance. So virtually no experience at all interacting with African-American people. That's one of the things that really attracted me, I think, is that this was a, this was a cultural thing that I knew is significant in our country and very insignificant in our state. So I had no experience, and it gave me an opportunity to, to get some experience. I think it was 1968 when a group of students decided, with similar perspective to mine, that with, with little exposure to uh, minorities of any kind, uh, these students, the student group organized to, uh, to try put together an exchange. My understanding is that they actually had conversations with several historically black colleges and universities to try and put this together and that Grambling kind of rose to the top of the ones that, uh, that, that were interesting to them. And so they developed a program with Grambling, which later was taken over by, I think, the Dean of Students Office uh, and operated it for many years after that. I just want to make sure that I, that I heard you correctly. It seems like the origins of this program were student-driven. Since you contacted me, I did a little bit of research into my old scrapbook stuff, and I found a little small story about the history of the exchange, and it suggests that in 1968, it was a student group that got together to, to try to put it together. Once you decided to go to this, to join this program, what did your friends and family think about you going to Grambling? I don't have any recollection that there was any negativity to negative response to it among the people who I cared for. My family was nervous, but accepting. My friends, uh, uh, all all that I recall from their reaction was that almost uh, a degree of admiration for having the the courage to uh, to do something like this. Courage from the standpoint of, of going to a place 1,500 miles away that you've never been before and you don't know anybody. People I hung out with, my friends in college, were sort of like-minded people, I think, who who were were open to uh, new experiences and cultural experiences, and particularly with 
minority groups that we we hadn't been exposed to much. When what year what semester did you actually participate in this program? When were you at Grambling? I was there in uh, I believe it was the first semester, the fall semester of 1974. Well, one of the reasons I remember that is I did write about it. My experiences in the student newspaper and the clipping I found was from January of 75. So that was after I returned. And it um, was during the football. Know that. Did your approach to or did your experiences with civil rights uh, have any impact on your decision to go? You know, it really didn't. Civil rights in a place like North Dakota was kind of something that was happening somewhere else. It wasn't front and center for us other than what was in the papers. So I think I was driven more by by a curiosity and and a, and a kind of a thirst to learn about a culture that was really prominent in our country, but not in, our, not in my state, uh, that I had no experience with. And um, uh, the civil rights movement really, I don't think, played into it much at all. I've always been kind of sort of drawn to social issues, uh, and I would include the, the civil rights movement as part of that, and, and to protect protect the rights of people who have difficulty protecting their own rights. But in this case, I think it was more of a, of a curiosity and a, and a thirst for knowledge. Once you get down to Grambling, once you're actually there, what was it like for you? What was daily life like for you at Grambling? I think when we when we went to Grambling, we flew into Freeport, and my recollection is that somebody sent a taxi to pick us up. There were two of us from North Dakota who attended that year, and we dropped her off. The other, the other one was a young woman. She, the taxi driver dropped her off at the women's dorm, and he drove me over to Drew Hall. Is Drew Hall still there? It is not, no. Almost all of the dorms from that era have been uh, have been demolished. That's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so once I got to, to the dorm and grabbed my, I mean, everything I had, I was carrying in a suitcase and a duffel bag, and that was the extent of my possessions. And, and I got out of the taxi, and he drove away, and I looked around, and this little uh, young naive white guy from North Dakota uh, seeing no one but black people around and uh, I, I went into the dorm and I checked in they gave me a key to a room and it was pretty intimidating for me because it, it was a situation that uh, was foreign to me I've, I've never been in a position where I was a minority before uh, and in a place that I had no knowledge of whatsoever so i get in the get checked in i get in the elevator and i don't know i think i went four five six floors up got out of the elevator carrying all my stuff found the room i was assigned to put the key in and the key didn't work so i hauled all my stuff back to the elevator all the way down again got a different key went up the elevator and back to the room and it worked and I went in there I was all by myself my roommate hadn't arrived yet for the semester and I just sat down and I I, I, I said well, what the hell are you doing here so that that was a very it was kind of an intimidating start but it only took a, 
a few days, I think, to get, you know, when you're in a new place, you get a feel for it in a few days. You start to understand where the cafeteria is and where the classroom buildings are and where the administration building is and what you're going to be uh, doing and where you're going to be going. And you start to meet a few people. My roommate turned out to be a young uh, freshman student from San Antonio. We got along very well. We weren't particularly close friends, but we, we certainly had no problem getting along. I think he was probably more surprised to find that he had a white roommate than, than I was to be in a place that was foreign to me. You know, pretty soon you settle into a daily life. You get up in the morning, you go to the cafeteria and have breakfast and then start to go to your classes and you develop friendships and frankly, um, very quickly beca- became a comfortable place to be. You know, you you identify the characters, the people who are friendly, the people who are not so friendly, the people who are boastful, the people who are uh, timid and the gay people who lived in, in my dorm uh, and, and the football players and, and the band. I guess I don't, it, it became a very comfortable place where the, the, the point was to go to school and have some social. I've always felt social is the, one of the, one of the big uh, advantages or purposes of college is to, is to under, learn, learn new things from new people and meet new people. Um, so it became comfortable pretty quickly. In mentioning different types of people, you you mentioned LGBT people. What was your perception of LGBT culture on Grambling's campus in the mid-70s? Yeah, at that time in North Dakota, pretty much all of the people in that community were pretty much closeted. You didn't really know them much, and I think it was much the same at Grambling, except that there were two uh, males, two men, who, uh, who were very well known on campus. They were roommates in the dorm on my floor, just like three or four doors down from me. They, they clearly were out and they clearly felt comfortable in dressing in, in a way that expressed their sexuality. You know, everybody knew it. They were cheerleaders. And it was just kind of one of those things that everybody knew and everybody, everybody accepted, except that one night, this was well into the semester. I don't know. I would guess probably uh, into October or November. I heard a lot of shout. I was sound asleep and heard a lot of shouting out in the hallway and people yelling and screaming. And I didn't get up to investigate. But the next morning, I learned that some people, presumably in kind of a a um, uh, impaired state, had come up and beaten those two students and I believe one of them was hospitalized as a result of it and so from that point on it became to me something that I think the campus in general uh, became more accepting of these two students and less accepting of the people who uh, took it upon themselves to uh, act inappropriately. Getting back to your daily life at Grambling, what your classes were like? Um, I did take some journalism courses and some other general courses. My impression at the time, I can remember writing about this, my impression at the time was that the courses seemed a little bit easier than uh, the ones I had taken at UND. Later, I would 
have an opportunity to talk to Grambling students who had been exchanged to North Dakota, and they felt the same thing, that, that the courses at UND were easier than the courses at Grambling. Hmm. So my, my take on that is probably that they were much the same. You know, my grade point was very similar at Grambling to what it was at UND, so there was no, uh, no difference there. One of the big differences in Grambling, I was able to take a course on African-American history and I think one on Afro-American literature. And those are courses you could not get at the University of North Dakota. You could get a little bit of it, you know, in other history and literature courses as part of a part of another course. But these were directly related to African-American situations. And I took both of those classes and it, it was just an experience I didn't have before. Believe it or not, uh, when I came to Grambling in the middle 70s, I had never heard of Frederick Douglass. Wow. He was never part of my lexicon at all. But part of our literature, African-American literature course, was to read the autobiography of Frederick Douglass. And I was amazed and, 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 and developed such admiration for Frederick Douglass and the things that he was able to accomplish that... Uh, so it's we were sheltered up here. We didn't we didn't have that exposure to a, a lot of the things, the Underground Railroad, and you know those were just little pieces in our history books that talked about all kinds of other things as well. That was that was a good benefit for me. That was a, a real critical thing for the experience I had at Grambling. You mentioned that you you had the opportunity to talk to Grambling students who went to North Dakota. Was that for when when you got back to North Dakota? Was that for part of your newspaper experience? Yeah, I did talk to them after some after they had been there, and I also was aware of some on campus when I was on campus at Grambling who had been to UND. So between those two things, I uh, you know, and I think it was maybe like two years worth of of, of students. I can remember interviewing the students who came to UND the semester after I got back. So yeah, that was that, that was an interesting process to learn about how they thought. And I think both kids were kids. <laughs> I, hard to refer to them as kids, I suppose, but uh, those students were there right away when after I had been down there. So we had a little bit of time, but didn't really connect much otherwise outside of that what was the social scene like well it was pretty interesting again it was you know they used to have concerts on campus uh i remember specifically when the shy lights came to to grambling i had never heard of them before but i went with some friends to the concert and was really pretty amazed at their vocal range and their vocal capabilities and 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 their music so we had a lot of that um we also, you know, there were at the time, I, I suppose it's kind of natural for people to uh, kind of trend toward other people who are like them. And we had, at the time, there were um, two of us from UND and three students from University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire. Uh, and we became pretty good friends for that semester. And we, had, we hung out a lot together and did a lot of things together uh, and also made some friends uh, with with uh, African-American students who were there. But a lot of our social life was, was being together. Um, I did have 
some of my social life there revolved around the uh, theater arts area was uh, was kind of interesting um the i don't remember the name of the director but um they wanted to do a play called slow dance on the killing ground and uh it was kind of a a play about a, a black woman in inner city new york her experiences as a um, as a black woman who got pregnant as a teenager and what she went through with that and a uh, contrasted with the experience of a, of a Jewish shopkeeper who had lived through the Holocaust. And so they needed somebody to play this Jewish shopkeeper. And obviously black students didn't really fit. <laughs> so, uh, so they came to recruit me to play that role. And I made good friends at that time then with some of the other students in the theater arts department we're doing a lot of that. So we did we hung out a lot together outside of that as well from time to time. We also did get around a little bit, you know, I think uh we didn't have vehicles there, but one of the Wisconsin students and I uh, did some hitchhiking around the area to get to different places like well, just over to Ruston or over to Monroe, 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 I think it was always referred to when I was there just to see some of the other area. So that took up some time. When you went to some of those other areas, Rustin in particular, how did you find them to be different than Grambling? Yeah, uh, that, there were some uh, pretty distinct impressions. Uh, the first one, by this time, we had we had understood a little bit about Grambling and Coach Robinson uh, and uh, and the band and that sort of thing understood how prominent football was in the Grambling community and in the uh, historically black college community uh, and had an opportunity to attend football games in Grambling. In fact, in Grambling, I think that year we, we saw Walter Payton play as well as Doug Williams. It sat in that little stadium they had there uh, and then went over to, I think we actually went some of us went to a football game at Louisiana Tech, and what a different football stadium it was! It was uh, night and day. You know, Grambling was this little, small, rickety football field with seating for I don't know a few hundred people. You probably know more about the history of what was there at the time. Ruston had this big football stadium with big lights and lots of seating and all kinds of things that just disproportionately extravagant to the uh you know the reputation of who was playing there and that was probably the first time i realized how systemic this southern discrimination was and people explained uh, to us that the edwards family uh, had uh, seen to it that the white schools got all they needed and had more less regard for the black schools. So that was that was the first thing. The second thing was um this was a this was a an experience for me that uh was indelible. Maybe half a dozen of us were in Ruston uh one day and it was noon hour. So we went to this place for lunch. I don't know what it was or where it was or anything, but I remember it would it had a lunch counter type of seating. 
So we sat, I think there were two, two of us who were white and maybe three or four who were black. And we sat and waited for menus to come for maybe 15 or 20 minutes. Uh, and menus came and then we sat and waited for, I'm sure, 20 or 30 minutes longer before anyone came to, uh, to, to take an order from us. Meanwhile, all these other people are coming and going and eating, coming after we had got there, getting their order and eating and paying and leaving. And we're still, we haven't even ordered yet. I came to understand then it was not just that some of us were black, but it was also that there were white with the black. And both of those things apparently were not accepting, not acceptable to the people who were running that business. And that was my first real experience with discrimination of any kind. So that was very kind of kind of life changing for me to understand it firsthand. What just as you know, such a uh, such a small little thing that I experienced compared to what black people across the South have experienced for all those years, but at least it, it did have the result of leaving quite an impact on my understanding of how we treat people, how we were treating people in this country then and how to some degree we still do. You mentioned Louisiana Tech. Did you have any other experiences with Louisiana Tech? Did you go to their campus for any reason other than, than uh, the football game or anything like that? No, hadn't. we never did go otherwise to there i think for shopping we had a friend who was in in the hospital there for a short time so went to visit her um i did go to monroe one time to to mostly just to see the community because so it just so happened that year that northwest louisiana and the university of north dakota were going to meet in the football playoffs division two football playoffs so i just wanted to go over to take a look at that uh at that community and that campus. And it was interesting. I, it, it, it didn't strike me as being a particularly uh, progressive community in any way. It just seemed like kind of almost like urban sprawl, but it, it's not really fair to assess it because we only spent maybe uh, three or four hours in the community. How do you think the social scene at Grambling differed from what you had experienced at uh, North Dakota? It was was uh, out the the parish that Grambling is in. I can't remember the name. Lincoln of it. Lincoln Parish. Lincoln Parish. I wonder was it a dry parish at the time? You know, or honestly, maybe... I'm 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 not sure. I I don't believe it was, but it could have been. Um, and certainly there were dry parishes around. I I don't remember for sure either if it was or it had been, but um, I don't recall that there were that we went to bars at all and we were probably too young to to do that anyway and, uh, but I do recall that there were a lot of parties and I rec- there was a lot of drinking I think uh, at North Dakota most most of the parties uh, involved drinking beer uh, in um, Grambling my recollection is it was more liquor and marijuana but definitely you know, these are kids that are away from home for the first time and they're testing the limits and they're going out to try new things and different things and meet, have new experiences. And in that respect, the, the social experiences were much the same. Uh, it was people doing things that they they weren't really able to do when they're 
being watched by parents and communities. I see a lot of different there, I guess. There wasn't much in the Grambling community at that time. I remember, uh, I think during the period of time I was there, they they just opened, were opening a new uh, fried chicken restaurant of some kind that uh, that became very popular. But otherwise, there wasn't a lot of, uh, it just seemed like there wasn't a lot of connection between the campus and the community that much at all. So speaking a little bit about food, what was the food like on Grambling's campus? I am not, a, never have been a very picky eater. So I had, the food was all fine to me. I mean, there were a lot like beans and rice type of things that we hadn't had at home, which I thought were perfectly fine. Uh, you know, I, I never went hungry when I was there. The one thing I would have to say is I had my first experience with chitlins and uh, it was also my last. <laughs> it wasn't something that grew on me very quickly. Uh, grits was always a southern thing that wasn't available much in the north at the time. So that was a new experience for me, but who can who can uh, dislike grits, you know? So, so I am, um, yeah, I, I mean, we used to go, there was a little... Uh, I didn't know what, a little store, I guess, at the time. I don't remember what it's called, but uh, we'd always go there for to get pick up snacks and things. Many of the snacks were the same types that we were, some kind of a pre-packaged uh, pastry, uh, you know, Dolly Madison or Honey Buns or whatever they happened to be, which is very similar to what you had anywhere else. So I did that. We did have a dinner one time at... Um, the, the man, at, the administrator at Grambling who was in charge of the exchange program had us to his house one night. His wife made a big pot of gumbo, which was a new experience for us. And I think we all just loved it. It was, it was uh, great food. So, yeah, I, it was a very positive experience for food. But as I said, I'm, I'm, not very discriminating. I, I haven't met many foods I don't like. What stuck with you about your experience when you returned to North Dakota? Well, there's there are several things, uh, and, and I think I can best illustrate them by just giving you examples of a few things. But when I was in Grambling, uh, there were, I think, two faculty in the journalism department, and I, and I worked on the Gramblinite. I was a staff writer on the Gramblinite, so I got to meet some of those people. But what really stands out to me about it is, um, you know, in those days, and I don't know how it is now, but in those days, every organization on campus had a Miss Whatever contest, you know, a Miss Phi Theta or whatever, and a Miss, you know, they all chose their kind of their queen. And uh, somehow or another, it was relegated to the staff of the uh, Gramblinite in those days and you know this is 45 years ago so my memory is maybe not real precise the Gramblinite staff were then tasked with of all those missed people the people who were missed whatever uh, they were in competition to become Grambling candidates for Miss Bayou Classic and what I recall about it is they all the journalism department had a basement classrooms and offices in it in the long hallway and they all came down and kind of walked the, the gauntlet sort of in front of the staff members to present themselves and we chose the uh, the candidates for Miss Bayou Classic 
which would have been, I believe, in New Orleans, right? Yes. At the time? Yeah. And uh, and that was a cultural uh, eye-opener for me. I think it was played when I was there at Tulane Stadium. The, there was a bioplastic parade the, the night before the game, and I think it was Market Street maybe, and it was so packed with people, uh, like five or six or seven deep on each side of the street as the parade came by. Uh, and of course, it was striking to me because I was one of the very few white people there. And then they went to a convention center of some kind and had the, the crowning of the Miss Bio Classic. And our, I probably have this in a, in a yearbook too, but Grambling's prime uh, candidate won the Miss Bio Classic competition and that was it. That was a feather in the cap for all of those who were choosing it or par- participated in the selection. Another th- memory I have, and I don't know why this sticks, up, sticks out in my mind, but um, there was a student and her name was Judy Mason. Uh, and she was into journalism, both uh, print and broadcast. And she or someone else was doing a story for the paper about interracial dating. They recruited Judy Mason and I to be the uh, kind of the models <laughs> to uh, walk hand in hand down the sidewalk while they could take pictures of us to, to suggest to, uh, to illustrate a white person and a black person who might have been in a dating relationship. And that was interesting. <laughs> Odd and kind of unusual, but I knew Judy fairly well at the time. And the third thing I would say was in this drama department, we uh, we did the play at Grambling, um, you know, three nights, four nights, whatever it was, and then we had the fortune to uh, to take the play to Baton Rouge to LSU, where we participated in the uh, competition for I think it was called the Louisiana College Festival of the Arts or something like that, and various colleges did plays that were judged in competition against one another and critiqued then. There was some critique of uh, by drama teachers or faculty from around the area. So that was quite a good experience for me, too, to be able to see that. We didn't do particularly well, but it was fun. The Judy Mason that you mentioned, was that the Judy Mason who would go on to be the um, screenwriter? Yeah, I believe it. I believe I heard later that she had uh, gone to work for Norman Lear's production company. Yes. Okay. Uh, oh, so yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. She had a, an incredible career in uh, television and film as a writer. She had a, she had quite the career. And um, actually, I've seen actually wrote a play specifically about Grambling and about being a student at Grambling in the seventies called mm-hmm. Stadium View, and she donated that play to grambling to the theater department and yep. they they perform it every now and then um i remember seeing it last i don't know five or six years ago basically it was it's about three football players living at grambling and students at grambling in the 70s and uh some of the the experiences that they that they have at at grambling it's um it, it's kind of interesting I just thought of one other little anecdote if you're interested in more storytelling. Absolutely. I remember we used, there was a open field kind of next to our dormitory. A lot of kids would go out there and 
play football or soccer or, uh, you know, use it as a kind of a, a little sports or, uh, place to, to go out. Uh, and I remember being out there and um, somebody was throwing this football and it came toward me and it hit my hands and stung so hard. I, I couldn't believe somebody could throw a football that hard. So I asked somebody who I knew there who that was. Turns out he was the starting quarterback on the football team. I think his name was Joe Como, if I can, if I remember that correctly. So Joe then, he was kind of a hotshot. He was kind of a braggadocio sort of fella and very well, I think very well liked. But he got injured in like the first or second game. And they brought in a young freshman to replace him till he get, got healthy again. And the freshman was Doug Williams, and he never gave up the starting job after that. So that was the first experience with how the guy who hurt my hands got lost his job. I always ask if there if there's anything else, if there's anything I didn't think to ask you about. Again, it's the uh, kind of the football experience, and even in North Dakota, I had heard of the Grambling football team. But I was unaware of the band. And uh, my time there made it awfully clear that the band was on equally high footing as the football team, and maybe more so. You know, the, the workouts they went through early in the morning throughout the day were as strenuous, I'm sure, as what the football team did in training. Fortunately, at least once or twice, I was able to travel with the band when they were going to games out of town uh, to cover them for the Grambler, to cover the games for the Grambler night. So, you know, it was a, it's an old school bus that, that, that we rode in, but uh, you take it to Dallas and get to go to the Cotton Bowl, and the Cotton Bowl gets filled up with fans. I don't know how many it were, what their seating capacity was, but it was huge. Uh, and um, that was a great experience just to be able to travel a little bit, see some places, along with other students at Grambling. I've always kind of felt it would be fun to go back uh, just to see what's happened there, but I never have. You've been listening to the Voices of Grambling, a digital oral history podcast, a production of the students and faculty of the Grambling State University History Department, along with faculty at the University of Arkansas. Be sure to listen in to one of our other episodes, and if you have a voice you would like to share or have a nomination for a voice that needs to be heard, please contact the History Department of Grayling State University for more information.